Do you remember? Did you remember? I can't believe you forgot. Remember. It's a constant refrain that dominates our conversations and a constant refrain that repeats itself throughout the biblical narrative. Because God knows we so easily forget. Which is why this summer we've been taking time to look into Scripture to remind ourselves about the tools, the tasks, and the examples that God has given us to help us remember. We began several weeks ago with Joshua and the Israelites crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land. And we learned that if we are going to remember, we need to gather and set up memorial stones that will help remind us of what God has done in the past and what he has promised to do in the future. We also learned from Joshua, Rahab, and the spies the importance of learning from the past, the importance of focusing on just the next step that is before us, and the importance of listening to outside voices of truth, which together will give us the confidence we need to cross our own personal Jordan rivers. Then last week, Pastor Barry and Kelsey helped to bring to life what Moses taught us through his songs, the importance of intentionally creating collective memories. Because we so easily forget facts and figures, but we remember experiences that are created in the context of relationships. Today we're going to fast forward 1,500 years to the Apostle Paul and the birth of the Christian church for the next stop in our quest to learn how to remember. So turn with me or navigate on your devices to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 14, where we catch up with Paul several years after his second missionary journey, which took him throughout Asia and Greece. And Acts 18.11 tells us that in the middle of that journey, Paul spent 18 months planting the church in the city of Corinth. Several years have passed at this point since Paul left Corinth and left the church there under the leadership of Apollos to go and plant the church in Ephesus. And likely while he's still in Ephesus, Paul begins getting reports that things aren't going so well in Corinth. There are factions growing up within the church. They have issues of pride and false spirituality. And they're struggling because they're not detaching themselves from the culture that surrounds them. As John MacArthur writes, they were struggling to get de-Corinthianized. They wanted the blessings of the new life, but they were hanging on to the pleasures of the old life. Wow, so much has changed in 2,000 years, hasn't it? Paul wants to get back to Corinth himself to help, but he can't get away from Ephesus quite yet. So he begins corresponding with the Corinthians to confront the issues that they are facing and to help them get back on track. As we read these letters, as we read the correspondence between Paul and the Corinthians, we have to realize that they are personal letters between people who have deep relationships with each other. Paul lived, served, and worked alongside these people for 18 months. Now, God clearly had a far greater purpose in mind for the words Paul wrote, 
But as we seek to understand and apply this letter to our lives, we can't forget that it's a letter from Paul to his friends. And up to this point in the letter, Paul has been pretty harsh on his old friends. And he gets to the end of chapter 4, and this is where he tells them why. In verse 14, he says, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. He has been harsh on them because he loves them like a father. And just like any father or mother cannot bear to watch their children go astray, Paul cannot bear to watch the Corinthians go astray. He says, I'm not trying to shame you. I am trying to warn you. We've all experienced the difference between those two types of correction, haven't we? Having someone point out our shortcomings to just make us feel bad, or more typically to make themselves feel better, feels really different than receiving correction from someone who highlights our flaws with no other purpose than to help make us better. And that's what Paul's goal of writing this letter is. He cares about the Corinthians so much, he wants to put his arm around them. And he's compelled to point out their problems. Not for his benefit, but for theirs. We all need people in our lives to do that for us, to help us see where we might be getting off track, to help us see into our blind spots. Too often we either confront issues in the wrong way or with the wrong motives, or more typically we just sweep them under the rug because we don't really want to confront, do we? But Paul says, because I love you guys, I just can't sweep it under the rug. In verse 18 to 21, he kind of recaps his thoughts about this issue, about his discipline. And he basically says, in my own very loose translation of verses 18 to 21, you guys are like a bunch of teenagers whose parents have gone away on a really long trip and left you home alone. I really don't want to come back home to find out you wrecked the house with a party and have to discipline you. But if that's what I find when I get there, I will, because I love you. And the Corinthians respond to Paul, when are you going to stop treating us like little kids? And Paul writes back, when you stop acting like them. How often do we have that conversation in our homes? And we pick back up in verse 15. And Paul says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul says to the Corinthians, if you're going to get back on track, you need to remember you need to remember what I taught you, and you need to remember how I lived. And if we're going to remember, we need examples to follow too. But there are lots of people out there who want us to follow their examples, aren't there? And we have to be sure we're following the right example. 
We need to be careful that we're following the right example because worldly wisdom is so different than Christian wisdom. And the root cause of many of the Corinthians' issues was that they had not been de-Corinthianized. Instead of their Christianity dictating how they engaged in their society, they were allowing their culturally Greek beliefs and customs to influence their Christian beliefs and actions because they were not following the right examples. Maybe not so different from how we are prone to allowing our American political beliefs, or our capitalistic business beliefs, or our educational beliefs to influence our Christianity and our Christian behavior, instead of our Christianity dictating how we engage in those arenas. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and what I believe God wants us to hear, is that the Christian life is not an add-on to our existing lives. It's not business as usual Monday to Saturday and Christian stuff on Sundays. The Christian life is a completely new life that should dictate and guide our behavior from Sunday through Saturday in every area of our lives because our Christian life should be our only life. And if we are going to live a fully integrated Christian life, if we are going to remember, we need to follow the right examples. This is why Paul makes the distinction in verse 15 between the role of their guardians, which is also translated as guides or tutors, and the role of a spiritual father. In the Grecian culture, the guardian or tutor was a home instructor, usually a slave that was hired to oversee the basic training and upbringing of young children, sort of like a nanny or a daycare worker. They weren't teachers in a formal sense, but helpers whose primary goal was to ensure that the children followed all the rules of the household and received the basic training they needed. The guardians may or may not have been the best example for them. They may have been good at their jobs, but they had a different role, a different motivation, and a different level of responsibility than the father or mother did. It's sort of like the difference between being an uncle and a father. Over the past three weeks, I've gotten to spend vacation time with all of my nieces and nephews, and it's been a lot of fun. When they're with me, there might be times of instruction, and there are certainly rules that they have to follow, but my primary goal is just to have fun with them. And when all the kids are playing together, if the rules are broken, my response is different if they're my niece or nephew than if it's one of my kids because my role as a father is different. So as a spiritual parent, Paul admonishes the Corinthians. He disciplines them because he loves them. But he doesn't stop with warnings and disciplines. He says, follow my example. He says, therefore I urge you to imitate me, and I have sent to you Timothy. He will remind you of my way of life. Timothy's job was not necessarily to tell the Corinthians what to do, but to remind them of what Paul did, to remind them of how Paul lived. Paul's goal was not for them to become little Pauls. He knew it was not their calling to become church-planting missionaries like he was. But he wanted them to use his life as an example 
of how to live a fully integrated Christian life. As an example for how to live out the calling they had received. But we need to be sure we're following the right examples. We need spiritual fathers like Paul, and we need sons like Timothy, who have grown up and are following the example that has been set for them, to remind us how we are supposed to live out our Christian life in every area of our life. We're not meant to walk this journey alone. God did not intend for us to try and figure it out all by ourselves. That is why Jesus ordained the church, because we all need examples We all need spiritual mothers and fathers to follow. We all need a Paul or a Timothy, people who are living out their faith with transparency and consistency to serve as examples and reminders for us. People who will help us remember and apply our beliefs to our life. Paul tells them, what I taught you is the same thing I'm teaching the Ephesians, how I lived with you is the same way I'm living with them. There is no Corinthian gospel, there is no Ephesians gospel, and there is no American gospel. There is just the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins. Paul teaches everyone the same thing, and he lives consistently with what he teaches. Don't we always wonder, or perhaps we worry, I sometimes do, about what people say about us when we leave the room. Paul is so confident about what others will say about him. He is so confident that there is no gap between what he teaches and how he lives that he sends Timothy to the Corinthians. And he says, if you don't believe me, just ask him. We are often quick to tell people what we think they should do. Are we just as quick to have people model what we do? Are there gaps between what we sing and say we believe when we gather here on Sunday and how we live Monday through Saturday? Or do we have the confidence like Paul to say, follow me? We need to be sure we're following the right examples and we have to be sure we are setting the right examples. And let's be clear, Paul wasn't perfect. Throughout his letters, as you read them, he openly talks about his struggles and his sinful nature. But that's exactly the point. He is setting the example for how we should struggle. How we should struggle in the power of the Holy Spirit to conform our minds and our bodies and our actions to our faith. Not conform our faith to fit into our culture and our desires. Paul is open and honest about his struggles because the example a father sets is different from the example a mentor or a coach or a teacher sets. Mentors and coaches typically just let you see the good things, but with a father, you see everything. Children see all aspects of a father's life, the good and the bad, They see him tired when he gets home from work, frustrated by the weeds in the yard, overwhelmed by the pile of bills that still has to be paid. 
Children see all aspects of a father's life, not just the happy face they put on in public. That's why, like Paul, if we're going to set the right example, we need to openly acknowledge and talk about our shortcomings and struggles with our children, our actual children and our spiritual children. Because even if we only talk about the good things, they see the bad things too. And if we don't deal with the bad things honestly, then they think of us as hypocrites and they will never follow. As most of you know, I run and I also compete in triathlons. I keep all my race bibs and medal in this, medals in this drawer in my closet. And my kids love to go in there and pull the medals out and put them around their necks. Then they want to race me around the house. They're still young enough to think that I must be Superman, which is awesome for my ego. Right? And this is my race bib from a triathlon I raced in this past June. We talked about memorial stones a few weeks ago, and this is my newest memorial stone. It's the only race bib I have that hasn't made it to the drawer in the closet. Because this one, this one is different. But it's not different because I won. It's different because it's the race bib from the only race I didn't finish, at least officially. If you're not familiar with triathlon, it's a multi-sport event where you swim, then bike, then run. In the morning of this particular race, things were perfect. I'd spent a lot of time working through my race strategy, and as I came out of the water after the swim, Everything was going according to plan. I got through the swim to bike transition smoothly and I was feeling good. I hadn't even gone a quarter mile on the bike when, pss, flat tire. But I didn't panic because I was prepared. I got over to the side of the road and changed the tire, got back on the bike, started riding again, pss, second flat. I hadn't had a flat on the road in two years. And on this morning, I had two in less than 200 feet. Race over. I only had enough supplies with me to change one tire. All the training, all the planning, all the preparation. Race over. As I walked my bike back to the transition area to pack up, there were lots of thoughts going through my head. Most of them probably not appropriate for a sermon illustration. <laughs> but one of the predominant thoughts I was having was that there was a little boy somewhere out on the course. A little boy who thinks I'm Superman. Waiting for me to ride by on the bike so he can cheer. And I wasn't going to ride by and he needed an honest explanation about why Superman couldn't fly. So in a brief moment of clarity, that in, at that time could only have come from the Holy Spirit, I decided not to let two flat tires dictate how my race would end that day. I found an official, explained the situation, and I asked him if I could go out and run. And they told me I would be disqualified at the finish for not completing the bike course, which I knew. But if I wanted to run, 
I could run. So I ran. And I found a little boy on the side of the road. And I explained to him that sometimes in life, no matter how much we plan, no matter how much we prepare, there are flat tires, but we still run anyway. Having an honest example to follow, a spiritual parent who will share their triumphs and their failures, helps us to remember, and it gives us the confidence to try because sometimes we just need to know it's possible. And sometimes we just need to know we're not alone. How do we integrate our faith into our family life? I don't know. That's a fantastic question. Which is why I'm so thankful for Ellen Putback and Donna Williams, who have been giving us great resources all summer long in family worship as examples that we can follow. How should our faith influence our decision-making in the workplace? Wouldn't it be great to have an example to follow there, too? Paul was a tent maker by trade, and he worked to support himself. For the 18 months he was in Corinth, he was setting a real-life example for the Corinthians about how a Christian should run a business. Early on in my previous career, I was on a project that was going south. The reality is we had sold a piece of work that we really didn't have the capability or the expertise to deliver. And to try and get things back on track, they brought in a partner from outside our group to take over the project. Long story short, it turned out this partner was a Christian. And she ran our project and dealt with our client differently than any other partner I had worked with before or after. She didn't openly advertise that she was a Christian, but her beliefs in faith clearly influenced the decisions that she made and the stands that she took. I was fortunate to get to learn from her example. And years later, when I was brought in to a client outside of my group to get a project back on track that was going south, her example is what gave me the confidence to walk into my first big meeting with the client CIO, who let's say was less than happy about the project status, and do the exact opposite of what I was expected to do. I wasn't necessarily expected to lie, but I was certainly expected to spin the facts of the situation and deflect the issues away from us. Instead, I looked him in the eye and I told him the truth. And the truth was that our team had screwed up. I asked him to give me a week to better understand the issues, to work with his people and our people, to come up with a plan to fix it. But for today, the only answer I had was we had screwed up. I learned sometime later that he had walked into that meeting ready to cancel the entire project. But he decided on the spot to give me the week I asked for because I was honest with him. And I was honest with him because that is what my faith demanded of me. 
but I only had the courage to do it because I had a spiritual mother who had been my example. Verse 17, Paul writes, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Timothy will remind you. Paul had raised Timothy spiritually. In following his spiritual father's example, Timothy had grown to be faithful in the Lord. And now Timothy was ready to be an example too. If we're going to be spiritual fathers and mothers, we must bear children. We must reproduce. Paul reproduced himself in Timothy. He reproduced himself in Titus and many others. And because Paul reproduced, we have the church today. Whose examples are we following? And who is following our example? Are we raising up spiritual sons and daughters like Timothy? who we can send out in confidence to be examples for others? 3,500 years ago, Moses was Joshua's example. 2,000 years ago, Paul was the example for Timothy and Titus and others who were the examples in Corinth and Ephesus and many other cities. What was true then is still true now. We all need examples to follow. And we all need to be setting the right example. And our ultimate example? Our ultimate example is Christ. Christ set the example that all examples should follow. In verse 15, Paul says, In Christ Jesus I became your father. And in chapter 11, he goes further. He says at the beginning of chapter 11, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then picking up in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this, is my cu- this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul was setting the right example because he was following the right example. Whose examples are we following? And who is following our example? As we begin to prepare ourselves to come together around this table today, we need to ask ourselves, are we remembering Christ's example? And are we setting that example consistently for others in every area of our lives? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much, that you were willing to send Christ and that he was willing to come to take on the shape of a man, 
to live the perfect life that we couldn't, to set the example that we so desperately needed. I pray, Father, that we would live in real remembrance of that example, applying it to every aspect of our lives, and that you would continue to transform us into the likeness of Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. We gather around this table today to remember, to remember Christ, the perfect life he lived, is an example for us to follow, and to remember the sacrifice he made on our behalf so that we could follow his example once we've put our faith in him as our savior. I'd invite the men to come. They will distribute the bread, and as is our custom, we invite you to spend time in personal reflection. Spend time remembering. There are guided prayers in your bulletin that you may find helpful in that process. And when you are ready, I invite you to take the bread on your own, and then we will take the cup together as the body of Christ.